This morning I want to begin a new sermon series entitled Godly Grieving. Godly Grieving. And this has to do with the subject of lamenting. The session was approached by some of you to pray and to uh, consider leading a service of lament, and specifically over uh, the, um, the injustice of racism, racial injustice, and how that's been playing out in our society uh, for much too long. And that is certainly something that should be lamented and should be grieved. And uh, this is uh, an election year, and we hear so many things um, from politicians and from the media uh, that leave us with so many items uh, to lament and to grieve over. Just to mention a few of these things, just old-fashioned pride and arrogance. We see that all over. Um, That's something to grieve and something to lament. Hypocrisy, self-righteousness, greed, materialism, consumerism, indifference to the poor and to the needy, the way the elderly are treated, often in nursing homes and other places. Racial, economic, academic inequalities. When you think about the immoralities that you see in society and hear about, you think about pornography and sex trafficking. When you think about the acceptance of homosexuality as a normal practice, as a legitimate form of sexual expression, drug abuse, domestic violence, just violence, rioting, looting, medical abuse, infanticide, how women are weaponized legally to murder the most vulnerable people in society, unborn children. All of these societal ills um, are something that we should lament, that we should grieve regularly. And unfortunately, a lot of these things are in society because they just happen to be in the church also. And I'm a firm believer that a society can only rise up when the church within that society repents of sin and rises up, so to speak. The Bible says that God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul told that to the Jewish people. Because the people who knew God weren't acting like they knew God. They were living like people who did not know God. And because of that, God's name was blasphemed among those who didn't know God. He says to Christian people, In 1 Corinthians, he says that there are certain people who don't have faith. And he says, I say this to your shame. Because their life should have been such a light that other people would be led naturally 
to trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The salt is a preserver. The light is for guidance, for direction, to show you the way. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, and if the light refuses to shine, the salt is no more good than to be thrown under the feet of men and trampled and a light hid under a bushel leaves no mystery why people in society walk in darkness. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, and yet they failed to be. There was an occasional roof and an occasional Rahab, but by and large, they failed to be the light they were called to be. And because of that, they did not have the influence on the society and the culture surrounding them that they were meant to have. So when you consider the subject of lamenting, I want us to look at the book of Lamentations. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 in chapter 1. Lamentations, as you know, was a book written about Judah. And it was written as a, as a recounting of Jerusalem being seized by Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and uh, his army overtook Jerusalem, burnt the temple to the ground, robbed the city of all of its wealth, and took its people out of the promised land and brought them into a foreign land. And I want to look at the first 11 verses today of chapter 1. Let's begin reading Lamentations chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has no none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer. They find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously 
Therefore she has become filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Now, the thing that you notice immediately when you read this passage is is there's lamenting and there's grieving, but it's not so much about what's going on in society. It's about what's going on in Judah. You know, even Michael Jackson knew that if you're going to make the world a better place, you've got to take a look at yourself and make that change. And um, perhaps that might make us chuckle, but it's true. If the church does not repent of its ways, if the church does not change and become transformed, nothing in society is going to get better. Not really. And Judah had to learn, as so often we have to learn the hard way, that our sin has an impact, and we are meant to have a righteous influence in society. Lamentations is a very structured book. It begins in verse 1, and this is repeated in in chapter 2 as well. It begins with the word, how, because it it's, it's answering a question. How on earth did Judah wind up here? You know, in verse 1, it talks about Judah as a widow. It doesn't mention Judah until verse, verse 3, but Judah is a widow. How did this happen? When Israel came out of Egypt, it says in Jeremiah 31, it, Israel as a nation, as the corporate body, was the bride of Yahweh, the bride of the Lord. But now, Judah's empty, lonely, abandoned, a widow. She used to be a princess. Now she's a slave. How did this happen? Um, Verse 2 is perhaps the first indication of what's going on. It says that she weeps bitterly in the night, but there's no one there to wipe the tears away. The tears remain on her cheeks. And here's where it begins to unfold why this is all going down this way. Among all her lovers, well, she was only supposed to have one lover. The Lord was her husband. But now it recounts that she had a bunch of lovers. 
And that's why this has all fallen to pieces, because the covenant has been broken, because God's law has been cast behind the backs of his people. And they have committed a spiritual adultery against the Lord. That's why nothing's working out for them. That's why they have this bitterness, this weeping. You ever get like that? You ever weep and have bitterness over your sin because you realize that you've got more than one lover? Because you've been cheating on God? As it were, you've been going behind his back, not that he doesn't see everything, but you've been going behind his back and you've been fooling around with other lovers. Looking at them and trusting in them and depending on them and longing for them and giving them the attention that only your Lord and Savior deserves. Well, Cheating always, always leaves you cheated. And that's what Judah learned. She's weeping bitterly in the night, and the tears are not wiped away because all of her lovers have abandoned her. They're not there to comfort her. When God's hand has come after her, they ran away from her. And she has no friends. Her friends have become her enemies. They're dealing with her treacherously. And then verse 3 tells us that Judah's gone into exile under hard affliction and hard servitude. They're no longer dwelling in the promised land. They're now in a foreign land. They were supposed to influence a foreign land, but now they're being influenced by a foreign land. How about you? What about your life? Are you having an impact and making an influence? Or is the world around you suddenly impacting you and influencing you so that your morals are beginning to change. And look at verse 4. It's one of the saddest verses in the book because it talks about the roads that lead to Zion. And in Isaiah, it talked about this grand vision of people going up to the house of Jacob uh, to learn the ways of the Lord. It talks about how people will come to uh, God's house and will learn his ways. Because out of Zion shall go a law. You see this in the book of Isaiah. But here the roads to Zion mourn because nobody comes to the festival. They used to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles, and people would come to Jerusalem and they would rejoice and they would celebrate and they would feast and they would eat and they would sing and they would dance. They would celebrate and enjoy the Lord. But now there's nothing. Everything's desolate. It's like a it's like a desert place. The priests groan, the virgins are afflicted, and there is bitter suffering. Sometimes it's like that in our churches, isn't it? People don't 
count the worship of God as important as they should. The feasting and the celebrating of God, the rejoicing in Him, is abandoned for other things. And in verse 5, her enemies are now ruling her. They become the head, she's become the tail. And the Lord made it that way. It says that he's the one who afflicted her, and the reason why was because of the multitude of her transgressions, it says. And her children have gone away as captives before the foe. You know, oftentimes in history you see God punishes his people. He disciplines them by the hand of their enemies when they turn away from him. Often this is how it happened in the in the Bible. Assyria came and took out Israel because of their idolatry. Then Nebuchadnezzar came and took out Judah because of her idolatry. And often that is the case even today. That is often the case that the church suffers in society because the church is not living holy. Sometimes we're our worst enemy. Verse 6 recounts how the majesty left Zion and all of the strong ones, the princes, became weak and scared and ran away. All her defenses are gone. And the only thing that Judah, Jerusalem can remember is her affliction, her wandering, all the precious things she used to have in the olden days are now gone. You see how in verse 10, how the enemy stretched out its hands and took all the precious things away. And verse 7 is another one of the saddest verses in this book. Because Jerusalem has been taken, and the enemy is now making fun of her downfall. They're gloating over her. They're pointing the finger and wagging their head and laughing in her face. And verse 8 again highlights the reason Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became unclean, she became filthy and despised, because everybody has seen her nakedness. And so Jerusalem and Judah are seen here as a widow, as a, as a helpless woman who's been abused and mistreated. But the reason why that is the case is because Jerusalem and Judah have sinned against the Lord their God. They were to be in covenant, faithful to the Lord who has loved them graciously. But instead they went out with many lovers. And this is instructive for us. This passage implicitly teaches us to mourn over our sin against the Lord and our state that sin brings us into because of our covenant unfaithfulness to the Lord. And look at verse 9 where it says, 
that she didn't consider her future. Sin has consequences. Do you know that for yourself? That sin has consequences. Even for believers, if you sin, there are consequences for your sin. You know, David was a believer in the Lord. And he sinned with Bathsheba. And he sinned against Uriah. And Uriah was dead because of David. And he repented. He was forgiven. He was cleansed. Uriah didn't come back to life again. And um, you see that same sort of covenant unfaithfulness as a whole, as a nation here in Judah. And look at the cry at the end of verse 9. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Do you ever feel that way in your life, that sin has gotten a stranglehold on you, and it seems like Satan is triumphing over you? Well, the answer to that is given right here in this verse, is to cry out to the Lord and ask Him to behold the affliction that has come with our sin. To behold what the enemy has done. Because no Christian, no follower of Jesus Christ should remain in this particular state where they feel like Satan has triumphed over them and is dancing on top of them, laughing and mocking and making fun of them. That this was at this time God's way of bringing shame upon his people and showing them the end result of their sin and how they needed to cry out to the Lord. It takes a long time. We'll see, Lord willing, next week how, how long it took for them to come to terms with the fact that they deserved the punishment they were receiving, the discipline that they were receiving because of their sin. In verse 10, it talks about how the enemy has taken all the precious things from the nation, and they have overtaken the very temple in Jerusalem. The Gentiles at that time, the, the Babylonians, were standing in places they should not have been allowed to stand. They had sacked the temple. They sacked Jerusalem. They burnt it to the ground. And the people have been impoverished. And then the last cry in verse 11 is, Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. You know, we're no cleaner than they were. There's sin in the church, all kinds of sin and rebellion and treachery going on in the church. And it's sad. And it's shameful. And it should be repented of. And this, this passage calls us to look inside of our hearts and to really search our hearts and allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts. And it's corporate to even ask one another, what are areas in which I've failed, that you've seen failure, that you've failed? And to repent over sin to call upon the name of the Lord. Because the only hope that any of us have 
is that there is someone else who called him himself the tabernacle of God, the temple of God. Jesus said, I'm going to destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. And he spoke about his own body. That there was someone else who was going to bear the reproach and bear the shame and bear the sin of his people. And he was the one who was going to be left like a widow, empty and not full, left like a slave. The Bible says that death had dominion over Jesus for a period of time. He was the one who wept and sweat great drops of blood. He wept over Jerusalem before the crucifixion. And he wept for his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His night was bitter. His cheeks were wet with blood and tears, and there was no one there to wipe them. And Jesus is the one who was void of comfort as he took upon the sin and the rebellion that you're responsible and you're guilty of. And he took that on himself. And he was the one who was afflicted, and even afflicted by God himself, as Judah here was. And Jesus is the one who was left naked, not for his transgressions, but for your transgressions, for my transgressions. He's the one who was taken captive and arrested because of our grievous sin and filth. But he's the one who hung naked and was exposed and brought to humiliation. And he's the one who cried out to the Lord. And it seemed as if the enemy had triumphed over him and that death had triumphed over him. But that was not the case. It was actually Jesus triumphing over Satan and Jesus triumphing over death and the grave so that you and I might live a brand new life, so that we might live in covenant communion and faithfulness to the Lord. Jesus is the one who was despised and rejected by men. As Judah had been, Jesus fulfilled this passage and brought it to completion. And because of him, and because of his love and his grace, we as a church should live holy, should live righteous lives. We, above all people in society, should be the biggest repenters, the biggest lamenters, the biggest grievers of the sin that we see in society because we see it in ourselves. And we're daily learning to repent over sin and to turn away from sin and to hate sin and to love righteousness. That's the only way we can have joy unspeakable, full of glory, is when we love what's right, when we hate what's wicked, and we live in response to the grace and mercy and love of God, and we live righteously, and we walk faithfully 
That's the only way society is ever going to be different, is when the culture of the church changes, gets transformed, experiences revival through repentance, through prayer, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It begins at the cross of Jesus Christ, the one who was despised, the one who was rejected, the one who was afflicted by God because of our transgressions. The thing about the cross is that it gives us the ability to lament with freedom, knowing that at the end of our lamentation, at the end and during our lamentation, there's one there who is there to dry our tears. There's one there who, who holds us in the hollow of his hand and will never abandon us or leave us. There is a God who has said if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sin. He will purify us from all of our unrighteousness. Sometimes we're afraid to come to God and talk about our sin because we feel rejected, we feel downtrodden, we feel unacceptable, and it is at that time that we must come running to God, knowing that He already knows what we've done. Jesus has already died on the cross for our sin. And even if we're repeat offenders, we need to come running to God asking for cleansing, asking for purification, for transformation. And God is ready to do that for everyone who mourns over their sin, who's poor in spirit. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. They are the ones that God will take up their case and bring his his sweet government, the government of Christ into their life and transform them and, and gently lead them as sheep and guide them to pastures, green pastures and still waters. That's what Judah needed. That's what they eventually got in the return. But as we think about this passage Think about our lives and how we need to lament our own sin first and repent over our own sin and our own evil and let that repentance lead us to real, real change in our hearts and in our lives and in our church for the glory of God. God bless you.